Welcome to the Live Your Spa Life Show. Spa life is where accomplishment and harmony coexist. Now, here's your host and Spa Life curator, Diane Halfman. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Live Your Spa Life Show. Spa life is a lifestyle that accepts that accomplishment and harmony coexist. The spa and spa life, the SPA, is for seek power always, that power within you to do your deeper work in the world. I am delighted to introduce our special guest today, Misty Lynch, who is a certified financial planner, certified life coach, and investment advisor at Beck Bodie. She helps high-achieving women gain confidence and reduce stress around their finances and investing. She's also the host of the Modern Money with Misty Lynch podcast. Misty, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Diane. This is so fun. I mean, I got to be on your show and we've got to connect with what's happening. And I think right now, especially jumping into finances, like finances can be like that scary thing for people or, you know, it's either people love them or hate them, talk about them, not talk about them. And how is it that you can retrain your mind around money, especially if you grew up with uh, certain things that are counter to what you want to do? Yeah, I think that a lot of us start learning about money when we are super young. You know, the way we we get ideas and thoughts that are kind of just ingrained with us. So a lot of people I talk to grew up where money was considered impolite to talk about, or they really didn't know where it came from, or if they had a lot or a little, or what to really compare it to. And a lot of times people were just, will just tell me something like, money is too complicated for me to learn. Money is confusing. I don't like talking about money. It's rude or it's not really polite. <laughs> and I work with a lot of women and you know, maybe I don't have any brothers, but it's possible that the boys are taught to be more curious about money, to actively try to make money, try to be good with money, learn money, learn how to invest, learn how to take risks. And so I talked to a lot of women that were just left out of the conversation probably since they were a little girl. So no wonder they have some confusion and anxiety around money. I mean, most of the time you learn how to make it and spend it, but a lot of us never really learn how to think about it. So that's what I see when I ask people about their memories of money or, you know, what money was like when they were growing up. Typically they all have a they all have an answer, but usually it doesn't have to define how things are going to go forward. Right. So Speaking of you know learning things when you're young and as a child, how is it that you're teaching your own children you know different way to think about money than uh, you were taught? Yeah, so when I was my children's age and they're six and eight, we actually did have a lot of money. Anything I wanted, I asked for and I got it, and I just never really thought about where it came from. I knew my father worked from home. I always saw Dad working, and that to me was just what you did, and so. When my father's business changed when I was around 10 years old, he didn't have clients, things went south and we had to move. We had to sell our home, possessions, everything and move into a very small place in a different town. That's when I started to think like, oh, well, if we just had more money, everything would be fine. And so I became very obsessed with learning about money. When I could make money, I just I just wanted to work as soon as possible. And I don't know... I want my kids to maybe, I'm glad they see me work. They see my husband and I work from home now, primarily because of COVID, but they've always seen us working. And I want them to like understand that 
things just don't appear when you swipe a card or click a button on Amazon, because I think it's almost even more detached how we make money and spend money than it was in the past. When you actually had cash, you had to hand it over to somebody. You had to go to the bank to get it. Now it just seems like this magical thing that is always there. And kids, I think, might really not understand it at all. So we use, you know, money. We talk about how much things cost if we have to rent or buy a movie on TV. Which ones are free? Can we look at certain things that we have? If they want something, we look at what we've already got or maybe what we need to get rid of first before we start to just bring in more stuff. So I'd say they're very aware of it in a way that's like, it's a normal thing to talk about. So hopefully if they do have questions, they'll just speak up and know that it's totally fine topic to talk about. Right. You know, it's funny you mentioned about like the cash money. I mean, I think there's something to learn more when you actually, it's tangible and you can see it and it gets broken down and That's why I think with kids, I think it's great to give them different denominations of money and say, okay, this is for you. This is maybe for donation. This is to save. Like, so they can actually see, well, how do you choose about money? I think that's why when we played Monopoly growing up, you got to work with money. You got to see Mm -hmm. what it actually looked like. So I think that's the difference between actual games that are being played versus some of the online games. They aren't necessarily teaching some of the things that there are around money. You've actually done some adult learning around money. Uh, I'd love for you to share about your 2018, where you had your year of spending freeze. What led up to that and what was that like for you? Yeah. So in the end of 2017, let's see. So I had two very small children and they weren't very good sleepers. So I'd spent about a year and a half or two being up different times half the night. And while I'd love to say that I was just holding my child and paying full attention to the moment. I mean, I was on my phone and I would see things like on Instagram or on Amazon. And I got to the point where boxes would arrive at my house and I wouldn't really even know what I'd ordered. Now I'm a financial planner. (laughs) I know how much money I have. This wasn't a good habit for me. It didn't feel good. I felt bad about it afterwards. I felt good for the moment. But I think when I started to focus on what was actually going wrong... I was sleep deprived. I was very tired. I maybe was a little burnt out and I was buffering those feelings with shopping and I recognized it. And so I'd read an article, I think in December of 2017 about someone who did like a month long spending ban. And I thought I could do this for a whole year. I have so much that I'm not even aware of what I have. And so, and I'd also wanted to start writing as a financial advisor, there's a limited amount of content that we have. And so I was like, you know, that's something that I'd like to do is start becoming a better writer. And so for a new year's resolution, I decided that I wasn't going to spend on myself, like the clothes, the shoes, the bags that I was really just collecting. Mm -hmm. I just decided to give that up. And then I decided to write a weekly blog about it so I could really hold myself to it, tell the world, (laughs) whoever was reading it anyway, and then really develop, almost transfer that need to create or do something into writing instead of spending. And so that's kind of how I started with it. I wrote about different things, not just the spending ban, but also quarterly, I gave an update and let people know how things were going. And it really held me, it kept me honest and I was able to complete it. And it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be, but I really did have to change a lot of my behavior (laughs) to keep it up. 
Right. Well, you know, the thing about our habits is just having awareness around them. And are they supporting us and moving us forward? Are they numbing us from other things we need to be looking at? What was one of the biggest ahas from that year, that experience? So I think one of the things that I do now, and I still do this before I buy anything, is I think about a few things. I think if I have anything like it already, which before I just didn't do, I just thought about, ooh, (laughs) I want this. I think if I'm going to have a better time or a better experience because of this thing, so if it's a, a new dress or something to wear to a baseball game, and the answer was typically no, I'd have a better time if they won or my friends showed up or, you know, if the people that I was around. And then I'd also start thinking about like how happy this thing would make me in a week a month or a year. And if it was just fleeting, if it was just going to make me happy, like for one day, I wouldn't buy it. And so I did a lot of different things. I would, my husband helped with a lot of the shopping just to kind of keep me from having to go to different places. And I also looked at some of the things on the mannequins and thought, how could I put something like that together on my own with the things I already have to try to get creative about all the things that I already owned And so that kind of helped me too when I was struggling for ideas. Mm -hmm. I love it. Just asking yourself deeper and better questions. I mean, getting to know yourself and looking around uh, just your own environment and how you can shift and change things. Mm -hmm. I think that is is so amazing. (laughs) It's it's good. And and just self-discipline and just seeing like, is the things we're buying, are those making a difference in our life? Are they making us happier? Or is it just the idea of it or the habit of it? And just Mm -hmm. being able to realize that, you know, we can make better decisions around it. And I think that that is just super helpful to be able to do it. You know, you talked about the experiences like with your friends, like being able to be with them and using that as one of the questions. You know, it's been said that your network equals your net worth. What do you think the people that are in your life, how do they influence you and money? I think it's interesting because sometimes the people we're closest with are the least likely to want to see us change. So the friends say you want to stop drinking or you want to eat better. And these are your friends that you go to brunch with and have the bottomless drinks. And you say, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I'm trying to save money or I'm trying to watch how much I drink they might be a little upset. (laughs) They might not be thrilled because, you know, that could be fun for them. Maybe they're not at the same point as you. So I think that we sometimes hold ourselves back because we're afraid of how everyone else is going to think. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. I haven't lost a single friend because I've suggested either less expensive ideas or that we maybe like, we did one thing when I was in the middle of this at work, I was still working in a corporate job and I had said to a friend that I have all these suits and clothes. If I brought them into work, would any of you guys want to look and take some before I either sell them or donate them? And then all the other women brought in things that they had, expensive makeup, different blouses or skirts that they didn't like or they didn't feel good about anymore. And we all kind of brought it in, did a little clothes swap and then like ended up donating the rest of the stuff. It was fun. Nobody felt bad about it. I'm sure nobody else wants to spend all this money either. (laughs) <laughs> to try to keep up and and look the same as everyone in the group. So I think that sometimes just thinking of things and suggesting different things, even if your brunch friends, you suggest going on a hike or something different. If it's you coming up with an idea, they might be on board. If it's just, I can't, I'm so sad. Like you're punishing yourself. Everyone's going to tell you to just stop. <laughs> Go, you know, nobody wanted to join me on this year long spending ban. However, they were like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> do what you need to do. But I think it's a personal decision when you decide you want to make change. You have to kind of be ready to, you know, look out for your own brain when it's trying to trick you into going back to the way things were. And then also don't be surprised if not everyone is doing cartwheels and thrilled about the changes in you because (laughs) they might like you the way you are. And that's okay too. Right, right. Well, I think one of the great qualities that you mentioned about friends, and we can really look at it at our long-term friends, are the ones that support and cheerlead us no matter what we're doing. You know, they don't necessarily have to believe the same things or change the same things. And I think that's something that we've actually seen over the last year is that if people aren't completely in alignment with what you're doing, it's like they're not being your friend and maybe they weren't really friends in the first place or what that looks like. But to really distinguish the difference between we are all different and we all do think things differently. And I think that our closest friends and the people that mean the most of us are those that, you know, they like us for who we are, right? And that they're they're having us uh, move forward with that, no matter what it is that we're doing. And it's I think it's nice to have those cheerleaders in, in our life and those that challenge us, right? Those that have us uh, look at things differently. So speaking of challenging, I know in one of the ways in terms of, of how you, you know, you're a planner like I am, we, we love doing that. Talk about how you like to fail up to like 25 times a quarter. (laughs) Talk about how that actually supports you. So yeah, so that 2018, that was the first like large goal that I had that I'd been public about and written about. And, you know, I think that there were certain times where I wanted to buy things. I wanted to do something. I didn't fail in that case. But then it got me thinking about some of the larger goals I have, like thinking really big about our goals. As a financial planner, I talk to people all the time who tell me that their goals are to get out of debt, pay off their student loans. And those goals are good, but they're also not this overarching purpose that they'll do anything to get. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, what else? What after that? What if those loans were gone? What do you want to do? And so when I think about my goals, like this year, I have an aggressive income goal and I'd love to be able to support my parents. My parents have worked very hard for 75 years. My father's been self-employed, still working, still trying to find clients. COVID's been very tough. And so I would love to be at the point where I could just know financially I could comfortably support my family and them. That's a goal that's big enough to me to fail a hundred times and keep working towards it. So a fail for me isn't just saying, okay, I'm going to write 25 social media posts. Like there has to be an opportunity for someone to say, no, thank you. And so that's something like approaching a reporter, you know, asking somebody if I could, you know, trying to to write a story for them, talking to a new prospect and having them be able to tell me, no, I'm not interested. Thank you. So there has to be at least some chance that it won't go the way I want. And that I think will build up. It makes you a little bit more thick skinned. You know, you can try things. You could keep moving on. If one person says no, there's hundreds of thousands of more potential people you can talk to. And I think having a huge goal, one that you can't possibly imagine bailing out on, can really help you kind of focus on that and just keep keep going forward. So yeah, if I fail, if I fail a lot, <laughs> I fail a lot more than most people are comfortable with, but I'm going to get much closer to my goal by doing it. Yeah, I love that so much. I have a friend of mine that calls that God-sized goals, you know, ones that actually inspire you to yes. get up 
(laughs) and just do it, right? Because yeah, of course you say things like, you know, debt-free and all that, but does that really inspire you? Does that like really, I mean, it's a good thing and you want to have that, but is it one of those like, you know what? I mean, I'm feeling your goal, like for your parents, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I want your parents to be taken care of. (laughs) Like, you know, these ones that just really speak to your heart and really stand out there for you. So I think that is important to have a distinction in what your goals are is like, does it, motivate you enough? Does it inspire you enough to fail, right? To, to have that happen. That's one of those, like, no matter what kind of mindsets that are around it. And along those lines, you know, people talk a lot about overwhelm. Like, they've got so much happening. You know, I'm so overwhelmed. Like, the, the words that come out around that. I'd love for you to speak to you. Talk about overwhelm in terms of being an indulgent emotion. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I talk to a lot of people that are overwhelmed. And a lot of people that say, oh, you have two kids, you have a full-time job, the podcast, like, must be nice. I am no different than any of the other working mothers that I know. But one thing that I do is I avoid getting stuck in overwhelm. I know how to recognize it and what I do. My calendar, if you looked at it, you'd probably think I was a crazy person. I have two hours to watch a movie with Natalie because Natalie likes to watch movies sometimes after school. And I like to make sure that's on my calendar. The reason why I don't feel overwhelmed when I do that is because everything else I want to do that week is in my calendar too. There's plenty of time for it. I block off my time for myself, for my husband and I, for me and my kids. And then for work, I fill in the meetings. Everyone else starts with the meetings. And then when they don't do something work-related, they feel overwhelmed or if they aren't working and they do something for themselves, they feel overwhelmed. And I think that's really just a way to stay in one place. I think our brains really like us to stay the way we are because we've survived this long. And so anything else that's going to push us outside of our comfort zone is kind of a, our brain will pump the brakes. And so I do, I schedule out what I want to accomplish in a week. And then I do it when it comes up. I hold myself to the schedule I created in advance. If I say I'm going to work out at Tuesday at 7 a.m., I work out on Tuesday at 7 a.m. because when that time rolls around, I don't want to do it. <laughs> but I do it anyway. And I hold, I very much honor the decisions that I make for myself. And so then I trust myself more. So when I feel that sense of overwhelm, I already trust myself to make a decent decision and to just move forward or make the good next best step instead of feeling like the whole world is crumbling around me. So yeah, I feel like I have plenty of time to do the things I want to do, but I think about it in advance. Yeah. I love this so much. I am such a fan of the calendar. You and I have talked about this before. And, you know, I always talk about that the calendar is like your mind and your life in action. It's like what's on there is what you've decided is important to you. And I don't know anyone at the end of their life goes, oh, I wish I would have had more meetings or I would have done more marketing or, you know, yes, those are important things. But spending that time with your child, watching a movie and having a date night and really looking at the totality of your life, that's real success. And those things are so important. And I don't know about you, but I believe that once you do some of those things that really fill you up and you feel good, you get those other things done much faster. You're more efficient with your time. You're actually more, you know, have more intention with with what it is that you're doing. So I think it's important to just get it on there. And the other thing you said too about getting up to work out. I made the decision to go to the six o'clock a.m. class at, at my gym Monday through Friday when I'm in town. And 
that that decision in advance and being on my calendar and doing it allows me when I get up to just do it. If I had to make that decision every day, do I want to go? Do I not want to go? No, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go, right? I want the results, but I don't necessarily want to do what I have to do to get there. So I can't put myself in that torturous position of having to make that decision over and over again. So when those decisions are made, I think that's such an important habit to have is anytime you can do a a one and done and make a decision, then it's so important to be able to do that. And I I love too about the intentionality that you talk about, like, you know, in your home. And and that's a question I always love asking my guests is we have different experiences in our home, you know, whether it's our bedroom, our kitchen, our living room, our office, what is your favorite room in your home and why? Our kitchen. I love our kitchen. We renovated our kitchen a couple of years ago. When we first bought the house, we hated the kitchen very much. It was the worst room. We renovated the kitchen. I love to cook. Well, we're all home a lot. So we're cooking a lot of meals. It's a very comfortable space. And I'm Italian. So we end up in the kitchen anyway, no matter how I try to, when I have company over, which hasn't been for a while, I'm always trying to shuffle people out of the kitchen and they come back. (laughs) So there's space to sit. It's bright. There's nice windows. And I have a little seat that I usually sit and read and I'm up early in the morning and it has nice lighting. I turn on the kind of dimmer lights and just kind of sit and focus. So that's my that's my favorite room in the house. And I, yeah, I spend a lot of time there. Nice. I love that. I've got a friend of mine that says life happens between the kitchen and the bathroom. <laughs> really? <laughs> you want to really improve your life and renovate those two spaces. It'll... Right, right. That, that makes it great. Oh, I love that. That is so awesome. Well, I know a lot of times when people are are listening to the show, they hear about the successes. They hear about what's working well. I think that it's important, especially for the entrepreneurial's journey to see like what hasn't worked and how you've moved through that. So I'd love for you to share what has been something that's been disempowering that's happened into your life and how have you moved into an empowering moment? Sure. I worked in corporate America for about 12 years. I started out working as a financial advisor and some of the first things I heard were, can we speak to the man in charge? Are you an assistant? Can you get me coffee? you should be an assistant. That would probably be the best career path for you. And I quit. I quit. I ended up working as an auditor like for several years. And I worked in a compliance department. It was a good job. It paid well. I was happy with that job. And I didn't have to sell. I didn't have to go to people and ask them to you know, talk about their finances with me. Because At that point, I had just assumed that no one wanted to talk to a girl who didn't come from money, who was in her 20s about money when they could talk to someone else I worked with who was a male who had money and people knew that. So that was a good choice, I think, at the time. And I liked my job. But then 12 years later, or about 10 years later, there was a chief compliance officer position. I was the second in command in the whole department. I was very eager. I was well-liked. And I didn't get the job. A man from the outside got the job with the same exact resume as me. I'd heard in the interview, are you sure you want this? This is a risky position. Do you want this when you have kids at home? Are you really sure that this is for you? I couldn't see my daughter doing this job. So (laughs) no matter what, that was the second time that I kind of had gotten pushed down basically just because of parts of who I am that I have no control over. Mm. And that's when I just decided to 
become a financial advisor, find my clients, find my people, the women who'd been underserved, the families who just wanted somebody that didn't make them feel stupid when they had questions because things were complicated, people who could calm them down when they were nervous. And I ended up, yeah, <laughs> leaving a high paying job that I didn't have to leave to work more independently, trying to find my own clients. I would say that was something I thought I really wanted and it did not work out. But now looking back, I think sometimes we don't get the things we want and we don't realize at the time that that's a blessing. Yes. <laughs> so that was certainly one of those situations where I felt like wronged and unhappy. And I think that now I just see things as they work out in the end, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's that classic, you know, how things have happened for you versus to you and yeah. how you can really shift and change those things around. So I, I love that. And I know that our listeners are going to want to stay in contact with you. How can they do that? Sure. Um, my website's mistylynch.com. And then you can find me on social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Clubhouse at mistylynchcfp. I'm also on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. Sounds good. And I'd love to just end with, how is it that you are being a force for good in the world? So I think the fact that I am a completely relatable woman, raising a family, got parents to take care of, all of the certain, all of the things that are going on in my head are going on in a lot of people's heads. I'm just very vocal about them. I want people to understand that it is absolutely normal to feel all of the feelings but what you can do is just learn how to feel them and learn how to then take action instead of always just trying to act and react to everything else that's going on in the world. So if I can get people to slow down a little bit, I think that'll be a force for good. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners out there. You know, without you, we can't get the positive messages out into the world. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear in the comments. You can tag both Misty and myself for any questions that you have. We're happy to help you. Please, you know, subscribe and share and, and put in those comments what you like to hear. It's so important to get these kind of messages out into the world. So until we connect again, live your spa life. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Your host and spa life curator, Diane Halfman, wants you to know you can download her free guide to start living your spa life right now. Go to dianehalfman.com and click on the link for the nine secrets to step into your spa life. Now, live your spa life where accomplishment and harmony coexist.